Pfizer announced that a low dose of its vaccine is safe and effective for kids ages 5 to 11. It's great news until you hear a six-year-old say, I want to do my own research first. <laughs> Pfizer announced that uh, they say their vaccine is safe for kids aged 5 to 11. According to a Pfizer board member, a vaccine for those children could be available by the end of October. Well, I know what I'll be handing out for Halloween. <laughs> That's right, the vaccine is highly effective for kids 5 to 11. Meanwhile, four-year-olds are like, yeah, don't mind us, we'll just keep Clorox wiping our Legos, okay? Well. Meanwhile, out in California, I saw that some McDonald's locations are now offering free vaccines. It's not every location, so double-check before you let a clown stab you with a needle. Just, I'm just saying. Kid vaccine edition of the best of late night. My name is Cadillac Jack. I joined Atlanta Radio when I was 19 years old, put in a loyal, very loyal, 26 years. Welcome to My Second Act. I'm Preston Thompson. I'm the producer of the My Second Act podcast, a University of Alabama graduate and the show's resident millennial. PT also helped run the amphitheater in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, where you got to hang out and meet uh, Alabama Shakes and the Steve Miller Band and lots of uh, rock and roll royalty. I did. It was a great time. What's like your favorite story from then? Like, do you have anything? I had dinner with Alabama Shakes and we watched March Madness together. And they Get were out. fantastic. They're Who, so fun. Now, we had one of the Alabama Shakes play with one the, of our, the is uncorked. it Lloyd or Lyle? The keyboard the, player. Keyboard player. You're putting me on the spot. Yeah. I do not remember. Donna's putting us both on the spot. Yeah, it was either Lloyd or Lyle. <laughs> I think it was Lyle. We'll Lyle. look that up. Yeah, let's look, we'll that, look up. that up. But he, he, he filled in for somebody when we did the uncorked concert series. Yeah. At and, the Painted Horse Winery. And he was amazing. He could play everything. I love that yeah, Alabama so Shakes. Great. Great fan. Um, okay, my name's Donna and I'm Caddy's wife. Normally at this time I kind of say something like it's going on in my life, but I was thinking yesterday after we went over um, or a couple of days ago when we did the, um, we talked about the Gabby, um, the case that's going on right now and um, obviously things are changing quickly. But the one thing that I did want to say that I think has come out is there was a park ranger um, when they were on their trip um, across the country. There was a park ranger in Utah um, that pulled them over because um, alleged someone had called in a 911 call and said that they had allegedly seen him hitting her. Was it a case of, it was a domestic incident? It was a domestic incident. And and the reason I say allegedly, because they believe that it was the two of them. Obviously, this is changing quickly. I don't want to accuse anyone of anything that didn't happen. But someone saw this going on as they were driving by and they called 911 and reported it. And then the park ranger found them a few ways down the road, pulled them over, and she was very upset. Gabby was very upset. And um, they took them, you know, out of the van that they were in. They talked to them both separately. And um, it ended up that the park ranger talked to Gabby for an hour and a half in her vehicle and basically kind of counseled her about this relationship that she felt after she was talking to Gabby seemed toxic. And so for that night, which I thought this was a little odd, he being the boyfriend, Brian, Brian went and stayed at a hotel and Gabby stayed in the van. So they stayed apart for 24 hours. I, I think this is this is evolving so quickly that what started out as two high school lovers um, who had dated for a long time, who were taking this, you know, cross country trip is now changing by the minute. What I want to say about this is, um, as a mother of two girls, 
and a stepmother to a son, I think it's super important that you talk to your kids when they're in a relationship. I have had a lot of discussion with Olivia and with Charlotte, and honestly, we've had discussions with Will about boundaries and that no person that you're dating or even in a friendship with. I've had, you know, Charlotte doesn't have a boyfriend yet. Olivia's had a, a boyfriend for quite a while. But even this goes for friends. If your friends do not make you feel good about yourself, they're not your friends. Okay. If for whatever reason you're, and this goes both ways, boyfriend or girlfriend, because we know that there are situations where boys are abused too. Um, but if you're in a relationship with someone and they make you feel controlled or less than yourself or that you're not supposed to do that, or they're trying to put a separation between you and your parents, or if you are an older person and you're listening to this podcast and you are in an abusive relationship, I think the most important thing is to speak it. Tell somebody. Because once you tell someone, you're semi-held accountable. Someone knows. And I think sometimes when you're in these type of situations, the hardest thing is admitting it or saying to someone, I don't think I'm in a great relationship. And you need to say it to someone who's obviously compassionate and caring and can, you know, help you. But I just think as parents, that's another thing we have to kind of watch out for. Because, you know, we're of this generation, and, and not everybody, you and I, we can be guilty of this too, where especially when your kids have been dating someone for a while, they seem nice, they come in your house, they say all the right things, they pick your kid up, they go down. The, but you don't really spend a lot of time with them. And I think that... You know, we've had Jack, Olivia's boyfriend, over to dinner to sit at our table numerous times. I think it's really important to spend some time with them. Obviously, they're going to be on their best behavior, but there are little clues that you can see here and there. And they may even be coming from your child where they're saying, you know, I was going to go do that, but he didn't want he didn't really want me to do that. He doesn't like when I dress that way. How come you don't wear that anymore? Eh, you know, he didn't like when I wear that. Those are all little clues. And this case is starting to perturb me more. Because I feel like there were moments where something could have potentially been done. And you're kind of fingering law enforcement. I am a little bit. Yeah, on a couple of things. Because I think even letting him go, why didn't they, when he went to the park, he being the boyfriend. Brian. Why didn't they put two unmarked, like, a, you know, maybe an unmarked vehicle or something on him just to watch him? I just, I, and I think, and I don't, I, I, you know, I'm a huge law enforcement fan pro law enforcement but I just think this is another one of those cases where you hear it all the time where there's all these moments where people think about this case okay these people called 911 and said hey something's going on on the street that's not right these vloggers turned in the video to law enforcement, to law enforcement and said hey I don't know what's going on here but I think this is the van and this there's somebody over here digging a hole you know, they had the parents. This is really getting me animated. They had his parents for a while. What do you mean you don't know where he is? You haven't, you haven't spoken to him? What do you mean he went to a park to cool down? I just, I don't know. I, you know, I want to become a person who reads signs. And I'm a big believer in signs. I'm a Big, big, big believer in your gut and when you feel something. And, and you and I have talked about it before. We have this weird thing where we don't know what it is, but you just, something will come up and you're like, yeah, I don't, it, almost like a sign on a highway. And you're like, I don't know what that's going to mean in my life, but it means something. So if, if I'm doing nothing, I just want to tell you as a parent, I'm doing this too. This is not me preaching. 
stay involved. Make sure you're talking to your kids about what is proper behavior. You know, from boys, from girls, from friends, from adults. You know, the the most dangerous thing in a person's life is to not have boundaries or to feel bad about putting up boundaries. Even in a work situation. No, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to work 52 more hours a week. You know, we feel bad as adults saying, hey, I'd like to go to my kid's soccer game. Or, you know, we were talking the other day with, with PT, like, you've got your phone all the time. It's ringing 24 hours a day. No, it's not okay for you to call me every Sunday night at 7 o'clock. That's my family time. Because we're so damn afraid that if we push back, we're going to lose our jobs or something's going to happen. And so we're always modeling that behavior down to our kids. And, and I just think in this case, there was something going on. When I, I could hardly watch that, that footage from the the camera from the park ranger that Gabby was very upset and she was talking about you know almost in coded language I'm I'm very OCD he got mad I was cleaning it was taking too long it's like wait a minute and you know I don't know what the park ranger could do but maybe to say hey you know do you want to call your parents do you want to talk to your mom or your dad like a separate from him just maybe have a conversation with them you know, you can hear in your kid's voice when something's not right. And I just think there were all these moments along the way where God or people or someone tried to intervene and it just didn't happen for whatever reason. And I think as a society, we have to be okay with when we see things, reporting it. And maybe being wrong. And maybe being wrong. It. And that's okay. Now, y'all get on me a lot, you and the kids, because I will report anything I see. Anything. I'm not going to go into the story, but when we first moved to the area we live in, I reported something that I, that was horrific that I saw. And I don't remember, remember this. I had to go to court. It was outside a subway. I don't. Well, we'll talk about it later. But at any rate, I had to go to court. And it was, the kids were very young, so they don't remember this. You and I'll talk about it later. I kind of remember, I don't remember the, the, the context of it, but I remember subway and court. And the mom who came up later said, oh, this always happens and it's not a big deal and she didn't want to get the son in trouble, kind of like what we were talking about yesterday, that you protect your kids. But, hey, at the end of the day, there's right and wrong. And I think if more people got involved, you I mean, think of the millions of things along the way from 9-11 to anything that's ever happened to school shootings to Columbine. You know, it's just there's always moments where people are like, you know, yeah, it didn't seem quite right, but I just didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to rock the boat. Well, maybe we need to rock the boat. Remember when we were at the movies? Before the pandemic, and there was something going on in the movie theater. Well, we went to see the Richard Jewell movie, so we were on edge. Well, and I think we were probably only one, two, two. Well, we had the kids with us, too, though. No, it was just you and I. Okay, well, we were two of a half dozen people at the most that were in the theater, because nobody went to see that movie. And something was going on in the movie theater that made me very, very, very nervous, and I got up. Well, a guy came in, and he came in halfway through the movie, and he sat down, like, right beside us. And he kept like messing around with something and you were convinced he was going to pull out a gun and shoot us. It happens. Well, I know. And I, I mean, listen. It happens I, though, I, but I, yeah. I, it scared me so much, put me on edge so much that I got up and I left the movie theater and it was, um, I had a friend who, who, who was working an off-duty gig at this movie theater. He's a, he's a police officer for, for an agency up here where we live. And I walked out into the lobby and I saw him and I said, listen, man, I, I, I could be way off here, but there's something not right in this yeah. movie theater with this particular guy. 
And as I'm talking to this officer, I see other people start to leave the movie theater as well. Yeah, they got creeped who out. Who also too. noticed this behavior, this very odd behavior. And, I think there were 10 of us. There were 10 of us in the movie theater, but every, yeah, everybody got up. Now, before people and, start and writing. Well, in. but I missed. I was, I was yeah, off, well, I guess. Okay. Well, we don't know, but nothing happened. So maybe reporting it was okay. Now, I do, before people write in, I want to say, we left together. You didn't just leave the theater and leave me in there with the no, crazy I went man. To you find, were thinking that, weren't you, PT? No, yes. but I, I went to find a, a, to, to find a manager yeah. or a law enforcement officer or somebody to say, so I just don't get a good feeling about this. Yeah. The 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 exchange that you talked that you spoke of top of the episode about the park ranger was August 12th. I think the last day that she was heard from was about 2 weeks later. The park ranger admits um that, that she responded to this this domestic incident between Brian and Gabby in Utah. And she says I was probably more candid with her than I should have been. When she arrived, Gabby was sobbing in the back of a police cruiser, and the ranger approached her knowing um, that she might be more comfortable speaking with a woman. Direct quote here. I was imploring with her to reevaluate the relationship, asking her if she was happy in the relationship with him, and basically saying that this was an opportunity for her to find another path and to make a change in her life. Beyond that, Donna, what 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 could this park ranger have done? I don't know. I, I don't know. But I mean, there she is on the side of a road in, in Utah, you know, however many miles away from her home. And again, you don't know what the fight was that they had. I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. There just Missed opportunities. To, well, there just seemed to be, you know, again, when we first heard the story, it was kind of these are high school lovers who are just very sweet, innocent kids. And then it comes out that, you know, there's people driving by and he's slapping her on the side of the road. And then there's this incident. And there, I just think more is going to come out. And I think that we assume, we assume the best in most people. You know, I want to assume that everybody that our daughters date is going to be great and on the up and up. That's not going to be the case. Same with Will, you know, and that, there are not mixed signals, you know. And listen, in Will's case, we used to say that, like, if you get in trouble, the girl's dad's going to blame it on you. Like, even if she's involved, the girl's going to roll you under the bus. I think we scared him off, you know, for a while from dating because we were like, girls are trouble. You know what I mean? But it is true. It's like you just that you have to have boundaries and you have to be able. I think you have to raise your kids to be OK, to stand up for themselves. I'm really proud of something that happened with Olivia, and and it surprised me in a way. Olivia is our eighteen-year-old daughter who is a senior in, yeah. in high school. So she was on, um, a, she was on a spring break trip with um, a couple of people, and the the people that in this involved, it was not kids, it was adults, and they had gone out. Um, they had all gone out on like a boat, and um, there was some drinking that had gone on, not between the kids, with a whole group of parents. And um, when it came time to get back in the car to drive. Olivia said, you know, why don't you let one of us drive? Because there were a lot of licensed kids there that had not, you know, drank. And the parents were like, uh, the whole group of parents, I'm not singling anyone out, were like, no, 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 you know, we're fine to drive. And Olivia said, well, I'm not going to ride with you, you know, if you, if you drive. And it blew me away. when she, And she called me that night and she was a little upset. She's like, I hope I didn't, you know, um, offend, uh, offend them. The and parents. I said, I am so proud of you. And no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because would you rather offend someone or would you rather have a head on accent? You know what I'm saying? Like it's okay. And that's what we have to do is keep telling them it's okay. Cause it feels weird. It feels weird as an adult to assert yourself and say, yeah, I gotta tell you, 
that behavior is not thrilling me. You know, it, it feels weird. But that's probably because our parents didn't, you know, it, it, it's a generational thing to put these boundaries in. And I think the most healthy thing that you can do for your kids is not to get them in the best schools and not to get them the best tutors and not to have them be the best travel softball player in the world. The best thing you can do for them is be attuned to their mental health, you know, and make sure that you are providing them all of the go signs and, and the, the affirmations that what they're doing is right and it's okay and it's normal. You know, even from a teacher, you know, we've always said, don't be disrespectful. But, you know, I, I've said to my kids, and thank God they've never been, but if you were ever called into, you know, a, a principal's office um, or, or a, a, you know, a headmaster's office, you have the right to say, may I have my parents with me? You know, may I have my parents come in and sit with me? All of these things, we're, we're teaching them how to navigate. And I'm not saying Gabby's parents didn't do that with her. I'm just saying this was clearly a girl who was under duress. And it... And while, while many may have seen the signs, they did not act on them. Well, I think they tried to. But I think... I'm not saying they didn't. I just think that, you know, there were some opportunities that maybe could have changed the outcome of this. But maybe these people tried, you know, and that's a tough thing. I also know a lot of people whose kids have been in relationships. And when I say kids, you know, older adults, that they've done everything they can do. And anybody who's parenting an 18 or 19 year old now, it's difficult because they have adult rights. Well said. Well said. Strong stuff. Good stuff. We are classified by Apple Podcasts in two different categories. One is uh, news and entertainment. The other is music. Donna and I both, uh, our entire careers have been spent in, in, in the music business on the radio side. And so we have, excuse me, we have, have great love for, for music. And, and, and we're going to have a conversation right now about a songwriter. Her name is Nicole Gallion, G-A-L-Y-O-N. Yes. Nicole has had great success with uh, songs, including Tequila from Dan and Shay, God Made Girls from Ray Lynn, a couple of songs for, for Dan and Shay, a couple of songs for, um, for Ray Lynn as well. She's probably one of the most successful, if not the most successful female songwriter in Nashville. She has taken very recently to this week's matter of fact, to, to Instagram. And um, she writes, hearing a song come on the radio that has the same melody and chord progression as your own is a real bummer. And it becomes even more of a bummer as person after person brings it up in co-write or via DM or text asking me if I'm going to quote do anything. And especially when so many of those people are younger writers who are watching to see how situations like this get handled. So here we are at a crossroads where the choice is to say something or say nothing. But saying nothing says a lot. Luckily for me, I'm at a point in my songwriting career where I can afford to stand up for myself and not be afraid of someone coming at me for speaking up. Not everyone is in that position. Nicole says that there's a song that has just been released to radio that is basically a, a, a copycat of a song that she has written with a group of people. And while she's not calling out the artist and not calling out the songwriters or naming the song, she's coming awfully, awfully close to that in her, her social media posts. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the song is. I don't know what her song. I mean, she has, like I said, she has so many songs out. I don't, I was reading through the comments and people are definitely surmising and guessing and trying to figure it out. What were some of the guesses? I didn't see I, those. I can't even, they, they were just like, if anybody knows, can you let me know? And then there were some people that were like, if you know, you know, if you heard it, you would know. 
Um, her husband is a songwriter. Um, her husband's father is a songwriter. They're kind of, they're known as a triple dynasty in Nashville. Um, and they make a lot of money as songwriters. Um, but, you know, listen, this just dovetails on what we were just talking about. You're going to stand up for yourself or are you not? And to have your work like plagiarized, that's a very personal thing if you're a writer. And that's just lazy. That's a, that's a laziness. But then I've thought about this a lot. As I've always wondered this, and I would love to like talk to um, Corey Crowder or someone, you know, like you got, like to talk to a songwriter. Isn't it hard? Like if you write so much music, don't you feel like it would almost get in your head and you're like, okay, is that a, is that an original thought or is that a chord I've already heard? Interesting that PT, the producer of the My Second Act podcast, the music major from Alabama, mm-hmm. you took courses um, throughout earning your degree in Alabama yeah. about this particular topic, about yeah, this subject. Tons. Yeah, copyright music law, and then I took music theory for like eight years of my life. I mean, here are the main, here's the main issue here where the rubber meets the road. Pop music is based on 18th century chord theory, which essentially means this sounds good if you take it to this, and this sounds good if you take it to that. If you've ever seen those guys that do uh, you know, the same four chords and they can play 100 songs on top of them, that's essentially what we're talking about here. And then when you have that progression, now certain melodies only sound good when you're in certain places of the thing. So what you would think is this realm of infinite possibility, unless you're in some weird sort of jazz genre, it narrows down very quickly. Your options for chord progressions are incredibly There's limited. There's only so many of them. Yeah, if you are writing a pop song, you can do about three or four different things. <laughs> so it comes down to the instrumentation and the kind of intonation and the style tempo a lot more than just progression. If, if she is explicitly saying here, the progression and the melody matches, that is not enough for, uh, in my opinion, on limited uh, kind of uh, case study here, that a court would say, yeah, that's plagiarism. It has to be more than that. It has to be stylistic has to be tempo. It has to be a lot more than that because the options of melody and progression for pop music are so low. Now, if you find two jazz pieces that are copying each other, that's, that's a different, different thing. Yeah. You've, you've really pulled that straight off the page. And if you don't agree with PT, that's okay because you were a failed music major. This is ah! true. I did not do super well in that class, I should say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very difficult to prove. You know, Sam Hunt has a new song out. The song is called 23. Decent song. Um, here, here's what happens a lot of times when a new song comes out. Um, the record label, and in this case it's MCA Records, which is Sam Hunt's record home, they pay a radio company conglomerate, like iHeartMedia was the case. They, I don't know that money is exchanged necessarily. I think that would be illegal, but there's an agreement that every iHeart radio country station in America, top of every hour, this particular day, the day that the song drops, will play the song. All right, so think of how many country stations iHeartMedia has, iHeartRadio has in America. And there are 24 hours in a day. So the number of spins gets up into the thousands. What happens the next day? Those spins go away because the stations are no longer playing at top of the hour. Um, so it charts very, very high. But then it goes away. It, it, it backtracks almost because those spins that were essentially paid for are not there anymore. The first time I heard this song, I heard it this entire day because I'm like, damn, the bull here in Atlanta, the country station owned by iHeart, is, is playing the piss out of this song. What's going on? And then I figured it out. Then MCA had struck a deal with them to play at top of the hour for the world premiere exclusive deal. So I heard the song quite a bit this particular day that they dropped it. Every time I heard it, 
and I probably heard it eight of the 24 times I was in the truck, I guess, a lot that day listening to radio. But um, I kept saying, wait a minute. There's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting some trails here of a song that sounds awfully familiar to this one. And I've been for two weeks now trying to, to, to nail it down. And I've, the only thing that I can come up with, if you remember a song called I Can Only Imagine, which was by Mercy Me, a Christian group. I remember that, uh, yeah. Wynonna also covered that song. Yeah. And did a phenomenal job. I think that there are flavors of I Can Only Imagine in 23 from Sam Hunt, but it would be almost impossible to take to court and to prove. And that's the problem. And we hear about these lawsuits quite often. Very few of them, PT, would you agree? Very few of them are ever successful lawsuits when you are suing uh, for copyright infringement or, or plagiarism. I am 90% sure we could put them on one hand. In terms of major cases, it'd be like maybe two. Mm-hmm. Nicole writes on Instagram. Uh, she then addresses the songwriters of Nashville. Dear songwriters of Music Row, a song was recently released to radio that copy-paste to different lyrics over the same melody of a song I was a co-writer on. This has started many conversations that have made their way back to me and have made me realize my own values. The idea that someone else borrowing from your work could be a liability to your career sounds crazy, but it is a real fear. Songwriting in Nashville has always supposedly been all about community, but more and more it seems the definition of community is becoming networking at the expense of integrity. And I love Nicole. I, I I love her as a as a mom. She's a great person to follow on Instagram. But then I also think that there are a lot of people who would say that Nash the Nashville songwriting community is about as clicky as high school. You're either in the click or you're not. And there is a definite click. Because like her, Shane McAnally, um, they're all in a in a vibe together. Oh, you got Corey Crowder and and and, and Tyler tree vibe. and BK and Tree that's Vibe tree from vibe. Florida Georgia Line. That's a whole right. that's a whole group. Click. Those are like the so you got the cool kids and then you got the, like Nicole, the old timer, Shane, cool, cool old timers. Yeah, and then Nicole and Shane are kind of like the art school kids, and then you've got you know um, the Peach Pickers from from Georgia, right? Who Dallas Davidson? Who and, a lot and, of people and, and a lot of people gave them so much crap in Nashville when they started because a lot of their songs were "Country Is Corn" and "Boots on the Dashboard," and they didn't get a lot of um, credibility from I'm not going to say which group, you know, for some of the lyrics that they were writing because the people didn't think they were thoughtful country songs, but yet they were making so much mailbox money, and they thought that what they were doing and still do. Is fine. And I think some of that songwriting has evolved. I will say Dallas Davidson and um, Thomas Rhett's songwriting has Well, Rhett Aikens, who is Thomas Rhett's yeah, father. Certainly evolved. And, and, and Rhett Aikens writes a lot of stuff too. You know, we've talked on the podcast before that um, it is not uncommon on these big tours to have a, a songwriting bus. Um, and it's a whole separate bus because when you think about an artist being on the road for an extended period of months and not being able to write, the best place to write and the place that some of them are the most inspired is on the road. So they take these, you know, songwriters with them and late night will get on there and they, they write songs. Swap ideas. Um, I've got this. I just don't know where to go with it. I love this hook, but I'm, I'm, I can't go any further than this. Everybody help me out. And everybody pitches in. It may be for a weekend, maybe a three day writing run as they're called or it could be an entire tour i know that there are songwriters that an artist uh who, who really really enjoys writing with and has had great success with they'll spend an entire tour weeks at a time on tour with them and write an entire album while they're on the road well and, and some of them like decamp with them like i know shane McAnally is a huge writer for old dominion 
and was there for all the recording sessions, you know, and, and all of that was going on. He wrote for Kelsey Ballerini. He also was hugely instrumental in the Casey Musgraves, the first project. Interestingly enough, on this project, Casey is went a whole different direction. And that other project was so successful. It makes you wonder, like, maybe they just wanted something new. You know, you think about Maren Morris, Ryan Hurd, her husband is her favorite songwriting partner. It's just very, it is a little clicky. You know, most people who are kind of on the inside of Nashville, you could mention an artist's name and you know who they write with. Luke has one particular writer that he writes with. You know, Tim McGraw always had the same person um, that he wrote with for a long time. So I just think it's really interesting. It is, I understand what she's saying. And like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm proud of her again for standing up. But I think it is, I think there's also the other side where people would say it is so hard to break into songwriting in Nashville because it is so clicky and such a hard, hard place to break into. Watch these threads on social media. I'm curious if, if she at any point is going to call out anybody by name. I don't think she will, or but I think, a, I think another will. person will for her. Keep the blood off her hands, so to speak. The serving, uh, the cost per serving is $8.29. We have had nights where, where we have been forced just because of timing or uh, uh, many different reasons of having to go through a fast food drive through for dinner. Um, $8.29 won't get you a combo anymore at any of these fast food restaurants. But for $8.29 per serving dinner affair, it's going to give you a healthy, delicious, nutritious meal, a dinner, a dinner that you can enjoy. Uh, that your family is going to love and a dinner that you can prepare in 20, 25 minutes and usually in three steps. Dinner fairs making the ordering process easier for you and your family. To keep things simple, here's what they're doing now. Their packages are a bit more straightforward. You order now uh, to feed a family of two, three, or four adults. All right? And that depends on how many mouths you have at your table. There's no more guessing anymore. Two, three, or four adults. That's the way that every dinner, the dinner fair prepares and offers you every single month at dinneraffair.com comes packaged. Six chef-created dinners for two, four, or six people. Twelve chef-created dinners for two, four, or six people. Very, very simple. New promo code CADDY2021. 30 bucks off your first order at dinneraffair.com, dinneraffair.com. Free delivery to your front door anywhere in the Atlanta area. No contract, money-back guarantee, and they do ship nationwide for pot peeps that listen outside of the metropolitan Atlanta area. We know that there are thousands of you. Take advantage of it. Dinneraffair.com. Dinneraffair.com. Two, three, or four adults. How many do you have sitting at the table? All right. And they're going to take care of you at Dinneraffair.com. We have a small ask of you. Three things. Follow this podcast so you don't miss anything coming up. Can we talk about the changing of the yeah, verbiage there? let's do and we hadn't had this conversation, PT, and I apologize. Um, there was a very interesting article that was published this week about using the word subscribe and how the word subscribe, first of all, it's not even on the Apple. When you go to, to when you seek out a podcast on Apple Podcasts, that word's not even there anymore. Yeah. They took it away, I think, in the last six months, six months ago. Subscribe to a lot of people meant I must spend money in order to enjoy this podcast, which is the case with some some podcasts, but We've been free since the day that we launched um, and, and always have been. Follow is now the word that we will use um, so that you don't miss anything coming up. And there's a reason why, because that's the word now on Apple Podcasts, but also because it, 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 we don't want you to get confused. If you're new to the podcasting lane, 
that you have to pay for this podcast. Yeah, and you may you may you be don't, the- you don't today. That subject to change. Yeah. <laughs> as early as next week, who knows? No. But right now you don't. Well, and it's like for all the non-committal folks, like, eh, I don't know that I want to subscribe. I'm not that committed yet. Well, just follow us, you know, see how it goes. Follow this podcast so you don't miss anything coming up. Invite and encourage three people, at least three, in your circle to enjoy the podcast. Listen to the end of each episode and show our sponsors some love. And the sponsors do include Gallery Furniture in Gainesville, hashtag Ask for the Wolfman, hashtag Ask for Donna. Also, dinneraffair.com, dinneraffair.com. The Denny's 55 plus menu. Visit denny's.com and promotional consideration provided by the following. You have nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea. Try new Pepto Liquid Caps for fast relief and ultra coating. Welcome to the My Second Act podcast. Fantastic. Hey, we cashed the checks. We'll take anybody's money. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that later. Well, this episode of Cadillac Jack My Second Given, Act. as you know, what's been happening with Pepto-Bismol. my, with my tummy lately, it's probably not a bad endorsement. Nationally recognized brand, and we're excited. I'm excited to have them on. Me too. Every episode, we uh, add two songs to the Hype Song playlist. And uh, Donna, will let you go first. You're going to add a little Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Yes, one of my favorite songs from them. Angry all the time. Why you got to be angry all the time. Um, and this is from Set the Circus Down. One of my favorite, I think probably my favorite, Tim McGraw album just such yeah, a great album i mean too. start to finish such a great album it was the album where he just like i don't know like i, I felt like he really came into uh the modern tim mcgraw that he is now so love that song um just a great 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 song okay you're up i did not seek this song out that i'm gonna add this week or this episode chris jansen is a country singer songwriter uh, puts on a hell of a show. He's an one of the most energetic showmen, I think, in the format. They call him a country Mick Jagger. We we he, he puts on such a great show that when we used to do Kicks Country Fair, which was our um, uh, yearly day long music festival at the the station that I was at for twenty five years, it's no longer around in Atlanta. We booked him three, if not four, years in a row because he puts on just a great show. And yeah, gets he's the always barefoot. Going. Yeah. Oh my gosh, love him. Plays the drums, sings, plays the guitar. I did not seek this song out. Uh, in the past five, six days, I was at my laptop, and I guess looking at social media, and a reference to this song popped up. Someone talking about it. The name of the song is By Mom. B-Y-E. Mom. By Mom. I remember having a conversation with Chris Jansen shortly after Take a Drunk Girl Home Drop to, to radio. And that was a song that uh, he released. And I said to him, listen, it's not going to be a monster hit. It's not going to be a gold title. And what that means is a gold title is a song that's going to be heard on country radio for decades to come. But I said to Chris Jansen, it's a song that needs to be heard. And I, I say those same things about By Mom, which is a song that's been out for about four weeks. It's unfortunately... All the things that will keep radio programmers from playing the song today. It's a ballad. It's slow. It's four minutes long. And it's a song about dying. If there were ever four things that a country radio programmer is going to put up to say, this is why we're not going to embrace and play this song on my country radio station is because it's a ballad. It's slow. It's four minutes long. And it's a song about dying. 
which this person will go and name, but we had a programmer at Kicks that would always say, when one of those came out, we're not playing that in afternoon drive because people will, what do you say, run, run, run into a bridge off 285. You well, know? they hit the guardrail. Yeah, hit the guardrail. It is all of those things, but it's so much more that than, than that. And my perspective on this song, it could come from a son or a daughter. My perspective is, is from that of a son. And I listened to By Mom as a song uh, that's written about the strongest and most significant relationship that a man will have or sadly should have with one particular woman in his life. And that's his mom. And I kept listening Donna, to the song over and over and over again. And it well, really, that's probably not healthy. It really screwed. This is a Friday afternoon, like at four o'clock. And it okay, really just why? my day up. Why would you do that at four o'clock on a Friday? Because I, I just, it, it, it just, it consumed me. It did. I had no control over it. Well, and and we know your pattern, like with music and air frying and What's everything. My, oh wow! We there's a, a potential episode. Well, to work something out of that, PT. We know your pattern with music and air fryers. Well, air frying because it's you. I mean, and you're you've admitted this with music. Like this happened with you with air, Ed Sheeran. Like when you hear when you start listening to something, you aren't like I listen to six different projects or things at one time. I'll read six different books at one time. You are. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's just how you consume stuff. You are completely consumed with that one thing for a long time until you just finally get off of it. Like, I mean, you would listen to Ed Sheeran every day, every minute of every day. And then it went into Beyonce for a while. But what's wrong with that? Not, there's nothing. But that can be a dangerous road if it's a four-minute ballad about dying. Like about over and over dying. again. About yeah, on a Friday. Dying. You may not need to hear this song today. You may not need to hear this song this month, this year, or even in the next 10, 20, or 30 years, but there's going to come a moment in your life, and that moment's always going to come too soon when you do need to hear the song. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to share a story quickly, I promise. At the same time that I was being exposed for the first time to this song and really listening to it and you know, I've, I, we've, we've spoken on this podcast about the decline of my parents' health, and my mother's not doing well in Western North Carolina. And, of course, I went straight to her when, when listening to the song and hearing it for the first few times. I now know that at the exact moment I was listening to this song for the first time, my mother's caregiver, Miss Sherry, who goes to visit with my mom three days a week and to uh, trim her nails and to, to wash her hair and to give her a bath and just visit and have conversations with her. I now know that at the exact same time, I was listening to the song that my mom was not answering the door for Miss Sherry and that my sister had given Miss Sherry a key a couple of weeks prior to my mom's home and Miss Sherry let herself in and my mom was unresponsive in her bedroom. Um, I found that out about an hour, 30 minutes later when Miss Sherry called me to say, listen, here's what's, uh, here, here's what's happened. We were going to call 911 and, and an ambulance. Uh, you're, we spoke with your sister. Anyway, my mom is okay. And, and it was never a, um, I don't think ever an issue of her. Um, like life or, life or death, yes. But just the fact that, that someone put this song in my life yeah. at the exact same moment when my mother was struggling. Struggling. She was unresponsive. I don't know. That, uh, that hit me hard. Hit me very hard. But I, I, I want to say this too, that from being in country music my entire life, I started working in country music when I was 14 years old in high school. I, it's, it's all I've ever done, except for podcasting my second act. 
there's something very unique and something very special about country music and the songwriters um, whew, that, uh, that that write it. And and you know, I, I this this song again, you may not need to hear it today or in, in ten or twenty years. So there's going to come a time in your life though when this song could could it's going to tear you up, but it's going to help you out. Yeah. And I, I had a hook of the song that I was going to play, and I'm not going to do it because I, I just honestly I can't hear the song right now myself. But um, Chris but I, Jansen, you are an amazing, an amazing songwriter, and you know he writes songs that um, I think he knows are not going to become gold titles, and they're not songs that you're going to hear uh, for decades on country radio. But he writes songs from his heart. Yeah. And that's okay too. Well, and I think that's what country music does so well is like you think about, I think about the first time I heard the Tim McGraw song, Live Like You Were Dying. You know, it's just like when they, when that first line comes out, I was in my early 30s, um, you know, and just like waiting on the test and the results, you put yourself there. I mean, like you are in that moment, you know. Um, I, I think that's the beauty of country music. People used to always say to us, you know, what do you love the most about working in country music? And number one was the relationship with the fans that the artists have. And number two is just the the songs that are written that, you know, those songs really, and that's what great music and, and great film and books and, and anything, any creative um, art format is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you think. It's supposed to like, you know, it, listen, if that, if that makes you get in your car and go see your mama, then you better get in your car and go see your mama, which you're going to do soon. We're spending a lot of time on music this episode. That's yeah, right and, and sad stuff. Okay. Um, Phil Collins. I've always been a big fan of Phil Collins. Uh, of, of the well, this is producers. sad. I mean, the, the, this is sad as hell. Is it, though? What's, would, you, would you pay money to go see Phil Collins and Genesis in concert, their farewell tour? Yes. And to see Phil sing from a chair the entire time uh, while he's on stage? No. Now, I would when Dave Grohl hurt himself from the Foo Fighters and had to sit in that throne that somebody loaned him. I think like some huge band loaned him. I can't remember who it was. Um, I would go see him because that's different. I don't know that I would see Phil. Because the whole reason you go to see Phil Collins is for guess what? The his drums. drumming. Yeah. Yes. And his son's doing the drumming on this farewell tour. Well, and I just think it's kind of like what we talked about before. It would He'd be like really into it for the first 10 minutes. And then later he'd just be like dangling his microphone and like checking his Apple Watch. Like, good Lord, sitting in his chair. And you'd just be like, yeah, how much longer is this going to go? You know? And he didn't start or finish in the chair. Actually, he did both. But the entire concert. It wasn't like he needs a breather and he's going to sit down and have a glass of water, take some oxygen. Mm. while his son bangs out the the drum solo and because his son is the drummer right 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 but, and a very talented one but this was the entire show from beginning to end phil collins is seated in a chair and it's not like a throne it's not a, it's like it's like a wheelie chair that you have there in your office where you're listening to this podcast right no now. it's like a chair that they wheel people into an ambulance in a wheelie chair yeah i bet they had to lock the chair because i mean you can't just be wheeling all around First, Have you ever had that when you went into a meeting, a meeting room and you sat in a wheelie chair and like it, like you fell out of it? I've had that happen because it wasn't locked and you're like, oh, I'm here. I'm okay. I'm okay. And like you act like you meant to fall. It's about that entrance though. Yeah. Here's my thing. Did they tell people who were ticket holders? Like, don't know. Yeah. That he's going to be seated the entire time? Yeah. I don't know about that. Mm. First live performance in 13 years. And they're going to do this for an entire tour. He's going to be seated for the entire no, no. turn it on again tour is the name of it. Okay. But he's not turning it on. He's turning it off. I mean, like, this is ridiculous. Here's my thing. I bet people went to, like, the ticket, and they were, because like, when you first got in there, like, if that were you and I, and you sat down, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't, I love every Genesis song. Don't you love every Genesis song? Yeah, I cannot wait for them to play everything. And then he comes out, and he's sitting in his chair, and you're like, hey, why is he sitting in the chair? This is cool. 
And then like for the second and the third and the fourth song, you're like, what the hell's going on? Why is he still sitting in his chair? This, that's not right. No, no. Going to do right now. They're across the pond in, uh, in, in England and they are going to make their way to the States. Phil Collins and his wheelie chair for the farewell tour. Whose job is it to keep up with that chair? I don't know. I don't know. Gallery Furniture, 1600 Brownsbridge Road, Gainesville, is open seven days a week. And, and people are sometimes surprised when I say to them, um, you mean Donna actually still goes to the store? She's still alive. I'm kidding, Donna. I'm kidding. Please, Marilyn, don't tell anyone I said that. I'm joking. Uh, but yes, Donna goes to the store at least six, if not seven days uh, a week there in Gainesville. They have sleepers starting at $7.99. Ashley Klausner, Jackson Catnapper, American made. Four warehouses right now in the Gainesville area because they have so much inventory. Unlike the other big box retailers and furniture stores, they have so much inventory, gallery furniture, um, that they're having to, to find additional warehouses to store it. You, you find it today on the showroom floor. Or Listen, Donna would give you the key to one of the four warehouses and encourage you to go dig around. Go look for what you're looking for, and when you find it, pull around. I'll help you load it up, and you take it home today. That's the big difference. That's the biggest difference is the inventory that's available today, and you can take it home today at Gallery Furniture. I just saw someone um, that I follow on social media. It's a friend of mine, and they're moving to New York, and they were deconstructing their parents' house. Like, it was a joke. They were like, here, we're going to steal that table. We're taking this chair. And the parents were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Because they can't get furniture. And they, they put on their thing, it's 16 weeks until we can get our furniture. Now they live in Florida. I have to tell you, if you're going to wait 16 weeks and you're listening to this podcast and you're like, you know, I'd really like it if I lived in Georgia, Gainesville, it's probably worth the drive. The drive here. You know, I'm serious. Rent a U-Haul and drive because if you are waiting, and this is not us being dramatic. Maybe in the past we were a little dramatic about like how long it took to get furniture. This is the truth. This is the truth. If you type into your search bar supply chain, you will get no less than 400 articles about the furniture industry specifically, specifically, but how behind deliveries are. So even at their best guess, these big box retailers that are telling you you're going to have it in 16 weeks, which sounds horrific. It's probably like when you get pulled over and you said, I've had two beers, but you really had five. Like it's probably going to be 25 weeks. It's going to be 25 weeks. You're looking at two years and your money's just sitting there. Oh, 25 weeks wouldn't be two years. But anyway, it'd be a half a year. It doesn't really matter, PT. It's a long, long damn time. So the moral to this commercial is is rent your U-Haul, get your ass up here, and get your furniture. And you know what? You get to take it home. So what if it's one or two days that you're, you know, up here in Atlanta, you get your furniture. And it's a really cool city to hang out in. And she's really cool to me. Atlanta, Georgia. Yes. Go to the lake. Lake Lanier's right there. Go to the varsity. Hashtag Ask for the Wolfman. Ask for Donna Gallery Furniture, 1600 Brownsbridge Road, Gainesville. You have a pod peep for this episode? I do. Okay, so Melissa sent me this. Um, our pod peep, Melissa, who's awesome. Uh, if you are a ardent listener to the podcast, like really love the podcast, you'll recall that in a previous podcast, I talked about how I was a Kennesaw clogger, which was shocking to you. I didn't even know it. Uh, Carl at the time was producing. I feel bad for Preston, but I may do a little clogging just so he can enjoy it. But well, um, I have an appointment. So let's, then let's when we had up. a lull in any action during the podcast, I would get up and clog. So uh, Melissa sent me this and it says, get this. Power Taps is the name of the company. And it says, if you ever wanted to try clogging, now is a great opportunity to give it a shot without any obligation. This special class session runs for six weeks and you can help prepare you for future clogging classes. Cost is 
$5 per student, no long-term commitment, wear comfortable shoes, clogging shoes are not required. So what Melissa said is, let's get us a damn competitive clogging team. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. So like, do you have, do you have time for this? I think so. Okay. So there's like me, her, and we're going to, we're asking for people who are listening to join and we're going to, it's going to be like, um, what's that movie where they, the Bellas, where they go take on like all the different singing groups. Go ahead. Yes. Pitch perfect. Pitch perfect. Yeah. So we're going to take on, we're, this is going to be like the competitive world of clogging because there doesn't need, just need to be travel softball. And like I've played out to tennis. I've won a state championship. I've done that. I've done that. So see, I'm moving on. I'm not resting until I get a state clogging championship. Can you imagine? I can't. And what you do is you I cannot. You clog. I can, and as we sit here right now and hearing this for the first time, I cannot imagine. Here's the thing. I used to clog to like, like you know, ding, 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 country music. I think we get out there and clog to like lemonade from Beyonce. Like, you know, like we're like out there just like clogging, going crazy. You know what I mean? Come on. Thank you, Melissa, for your. Melissa's your, in. I'm sure. No, I get it. I get so we've it. got two. I think we need 10 How to many, make it a good group. You're going to have 10 on your team. We need to be able to do stunts. Some alternates. Some stunts. Yes. Wow. Yep. We're going to follow up uh, in the next episode of the Cadillac Jack, my second podcast about this and see how many people have, have reached out and Give said, us a chance to get our feet, you know, get our cloggers wet before we like start doing, you know, like follow-ups. Right. Audio for this episode from Procter & Gamble. Warner Brothers, Nashville Records, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel Live. Our thanks to executive producer Carl Appen. Don't forget to subscribe to The Letter. Hit your inbox Saturday morning at 9.10. Text left on red. Red is the color. No spaces. Left on red. It's the number 22828. This episode of the My Second Act Podcast produced by Preston Thompson, PT, host of the Georgia Politics Podcast. New episodes on Tuesday and Thursday of Cadillac Jack, My Second Act, part of the App and Podcast Network. Whoa!